you had me just for a moment. I'm heading over to parenting class, but if you didn't know, Joe is away on the youth ski trip, so the Reverend John Owens has graciously accepted Joe's invitation to teach this morning, so please be kind and welcome John to the mic. Good morning. Now, I know why Joe went on the ski trip. It's not that he likes the kids that much. As he looked ahead in the book and he found out that this week was Proverbs. <laughs> and he figured he'd find some sucker, I mean, uh, some other person to do it. Proverbs is an interesting book. Um, it's actually, if you look at the, the Jewish Testament, the Old, what we call the Old Testament, it's broken into six pieces. And Proverbs is part of the second, it's the second book of the third section of the Hebrew Scriptures. And it's, that section's commonly referred to as writings. Now if you think about it, we start out with uh, the Torah, and we have the Prophets, and then we get into writings, and, and writings has all kinds of things, Psalms, Proverbs, the Latin, yeah. Um, but anyways, that's where it sits. And, and it's one of the more unique books in the, the Hebrew Bible. Matter of fact, more of the unique books in both Testaments, in that it doesn't tell a story. Now, y'all did your homework, I'm sure, this week and read the first four chapters and, what was it, 16 through 18. So you read seven chapters of Proverbs and you didn't have to follow a story. It's sayings. Now, some of them are grouped and some of them are just one-liners. So it's really different and for some people that makes it more difficult to read and dig out, you know, something spiritual, something theological out of it, especially when a lot of the sayings are very secular. You know, there's a whole section where wisdom builds a house, and it talks about building and maintaining this home, and it's very, very secular in the way it does it. But anyways, Proverbs is not really merely an anthology it's actually a collection of collections. All right, an anthology being a collection of somethings, thoughts, words. It relates to a pattern of life which lasted for more than a millennium. It's an example of the biblical wisdom tradition and raises questions about values, moral behavior, the meaning of human life and right conduct. The repeated theme is that the fear of God, which really means submitting to God's will, is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is praised for her role in creation. God acquired her before all else. Wisdom is, um, though he gave her order to chaos, and since humans have life and prosperity by conforming to order of creation, seeking wisdom seemed to be 
the essence and goal of a religious life. Half of the book is made up of sayings and then there's some longer poetic units of various types. These include the instructions formulated as advice for, from a teacher or parent addressed to a student or child, dramatic personifications of both wisdom and folly, and the words of the wise, sayings longer than the, the ones that we acquire or we give to Solomon, and yet shorter than the, the lengthier verses of instruction. The first section, chapters 1 through 9, consists of an initial invitation to young men to take up the course of wisdom. There's ten instructions, five poems on the profanification of woman wisdom. If we look at Proverbs 10, 1 through 22, it has 375 sayings consistent of two parts. So each saying, it's sort of like the Psalms, two parts. The first contrasting the wise men and the fool or the righteous and the wicked. First is the righteous, second being the wicked. Chapters 25 through 29 are attributed to the earlier or the editorial activity of the men of Hezekiah, and it contrasts the just and the wicked and broaches the topic of richer and poor. And then chapter 31 through 4, the sayings of Agar, introduces creation, divine power, and human ignorance. It's impossible to offer precise date for the sayings and proverbs. It's a collection of collections, which relates to this pattern of life which lasted for more than a thousand years. The phrase conventionally used for the title is taken from chapter 1, verse 1, which starts the Proverbs of Solomon. You also find that repeated in chapter 10 and in chapter 25. And that's really likely to be more concerned with labeling the material than ascribing authorship. All the Proverbs weren't written by Solomon. The book is an anthology made up of six discrete units, one through nine, was probably, chapters 1 through 9, the first unit, was probably the last written and included. The Persian or Hellenistic period, and it was done in the Persian or Hellenistic periods, this section has parallels to prior writings. The second chapters 10, 22 through 16 carries a subscription the Proverbs of Solomon, which may have been encouraged its inclusion in the Hebrew canons. Proverbs almost missed the Bible. 
it almost was left out of the Hebrew scriptures by the Jews because it was too secular. It didn't tell the story of God the way that the prophets did or the other writings like Kings or the Exodus and the, the first five books, the story of the, the original Jewish world coming together. So they almost left it out. The third unit is headed, Bend your ear and hear the words of the wise. A large part of it is a recasting of the second millennium BCE. That's a thousand years before Christ. Um, it's an Egyptian work. The instructions of Menethinopope and probably reached the Hebrew authors through aromatic translations. So there's this whole section in Proverbs that was written by the Egyptians long before the Jews started putting Scripture together. Then when we get to chapter 24, it begins a new section, the fourth. And it's declared, it begins with, there are... There two are from the wise. These two are from the wise. And then following, that's only one chapter long. There's starting in chapter 25, there's a subscription that says that this was transcribed by the men of Hezariah, Hezekiah, that they were actually collected in the reign of Hezekiah in the 8th century BCE couple hundred years after the first section. And the final piece is the words of Agar, or the words of Lamel, and it's a description of the ideal woman. And then there's some appendices and other... The wisdom genera was widespread throughout the ancient Near East. And reading Proverbs alongside the recovered Egyptian and Mesopotamian reveals the common shared by international wisdom. The wisdom literature of Israel may have been deployed in the family, the royal court, and houses of learning and instruction. Nevertheless, the overwhelming impression is of instruction within families in small villages. Along with other examples of biblical wisdom literature, tradition, like Jacob or Job and Ecclesiastics, and some of the other writings, Proverbs raises questions of value, moral behavior, the meaning of human life, and righteous conduct. The three retain an ongoing relevance for both religion and secular readers. If we look at Job and Ecclesiastics through the boldness of their descent from received tradition, Proverbs is in its wordliness and 
sartistic shrewdness. That's the contrast, the difference between them. Wisdom is as close to biblical, biblical literature comes... Wisdom as biblical literature comes as close as any other scriptural writing to Greek philosophy, of which it was a contemporary. It shares with the Greeks an inquiry into values and reflections on the human condition, although there is no discussion of the other abstract issues that are raised by the Greeks. Like I said a little bit ago, Proverbs was almost excluded from the Bible because of its secular nature and its contradictions. The results of the book's origin as not just an anthology, but an anthology of anthologies, collection of collections. The reader is told, for example, to both not answer a fool according to his folly, that's in chapter 26.4, and then in chapter 26.5 it says to answer a fool according to his folly. So it's not only contradicts itself, but it does it in two verses right next to each other. More perversely, the reoccurring theme of the initial unit, chapters 1 through 9, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the following units are much less theological, presenting wisdom as a transmissible human craft until you get to chapter 30, 1 through 14, which are the words of Agar. And then we return once more to the ideas of God alone possesses wisdom. In Proverbs 9:10, it states, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The phrase actually implies that wisdom comes from submission to God's will. In Proverbs 3:19, wisdom is praised for her role in creation. God, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. God acquired her, wisdom, before all else. And through her, he gave order to chaos. And again, in Proverbs 8.27, it begins, When God established the heavens, when he drew a circle on the face of the deeps, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was with him, spoken by wisdom. Since humans have life and prosperity by conforming to the order of creation, and seeking wisdom is the essence and goal of the religious life. In Proverbs, wisdom, or the wise person, is compared and contrasted with foolishness or the fool, meaning one who is lacking in wisdom and uninterested in instruction, not one who's merely silly or playful. Though when we look at the words of Agar, it says a fool who has wisdom and could be seen as playful. For most part, Proverbs offers a simplistic view of life with few gray areas. Life living, lived according to the rules brings reward. Life in violation of them is certain to bring disaster. In contrast, when we look at Job and Ecclesiastics, 
appear to be direct contradictions of the simplicities of Proverbs, each with its own way of all but dismissing the assumptions of the wise. Noteworthy also is the fact that the mighty acts of God, the Exodus, the giving of the Torah at Sinai, the covenant between God and Israel, etc., which make up Israel's history, are completely, or almost completely, absent from Proverbs and the other wisdom books. In contrast to the other books of the Hebrew Bible, which appeal to divine revelation for their authority, thus saith the Lord, wisdom appeals to human reason and observation. As the collection of collections was being put together, there were some later interpretations and influence on the final writings. The pre-exile Old Testament allows no equal to Yahweh in heaven, despite the continued existence of a heavenly host, angels and whatnot. The post-exile writers of the wisdom tradition developed the idea that wisdom existed before creation and was used by God to create the universe. Present from the beginning, wisdom assumes the role of master builder, while God establishes the heavens, restricts the chaotic waters, and shapes the mountains and fields. Barring ideas from Greek philosophy, who held that reason bound the universe together, the wisdom tradition taught that God's wisdom, word, and spirit were the ground of cosmic unity. Christianity, when it comes along, adopted these ideas and applied them to Jesus. The epistle to the Colossians calls Jesus the image of the invisible God firstborn of all creation. While the Gospel of John identifies him with the creative word as it begins with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. In the fourth century, when Christianity was caught up in heresies and still trying to develop the creeds which would define its beliefs, one of the Proverbs, chapter 8, verse 22, was used to both support and refute the claims of Arius. The Arians, assuming that Christ could be equated to the wisdom of God, as stated in Corinthians, argued that the Son, like wisdom, was created. Their opponents, who argued that the revelant Hebrew word should be translated as begot, won the debate. And the Nicene Creed declared that the Son was begotten, not made, meaning that God and Christ were co-substantia. Even in its secular way, proverbs throughout history have found ways to influence our very faith, how we believe. 
If the Arians had won out, we would have a created son and not a God. But through a correct translation of Proverbs, the truth comes out. Alright, to wrap it all up. If we look throughout the books of Solomon, the most and most specifically the Proverbs, wisdom functions as a middle discourse among nations to provide a way for Israel to dialogue with her neighbors, while self-consciously bracketing out her own cultic material. This wisdom provides a human way to speak about life and the wholeness of the human journey. Wisdom can borrow materials from other nations and put it into scriptures as we see in Proverbs. But it never betrays Israel's peculiar language of a history with God as expressed in the Torah and the prophets. That is because the wisdom in the book of Proverbs weaves together what all nations, peoples, and religions have in common. Moreover, Biblical wisdom never distinguishes itself as non-relatory, as though it were based on human experiences. It is scriptural portrayal. It works alongside the Torah and the prophets as a category of revelation. In the contemporary wisdom dialogue, we can either be limited by the naivety of pre-modern exegesis, which accepts the biblical portrait of Solomon uncritically as his story, nor by the myopic learnings of the modern day, which would insist that Solomon and wisdom have nothing to do with each other. As people who have drunk from the well of the modern day, we need to draw from what we know and begin to understand what it means to read the biblical book of Proverbs within wisdom literature and its placement within Jewish and Christian scripture as writings of truth. Okay, questions? Okay. Okay, um, I'm not sure how to answer your question. Um, Proverbs was put together over a period of time by multiple people and finally incorporated when the Hebrew scriptures were put together as a... Um, a scriptural document in whole. Um, so it was there from the time that the Hebrew Bible, the scriptures, became a whole unit. Mm -hmm. <coughs> but prior to that, there was argument about whether it should be included. Now, when the Hebrew Bible was put together, um, 
there were these rabbis that got together and argued about all the literature and what should be part of the Bible and, you know, the scripture, what's holy word, and what's just good stuff. And, and there were a number of different criteria. It had to be something about God. It had to be written, written in Hebrew. And it had to be relevant to man. And Proverbs was looked at as not really telling much about God. It was not concise enough in its storyline. And then we have other things like the Maccabees and um, Tobit and, and some of the others, um, parts of other books actually, that were left out because they weren't written in Hebrew. So these guys got together, these rabbis got together, and they fought for a long time, years, as to what was really God's word and what wasn't. And when they finally came down to it, they included Proverbs. Hope that answers it. This is just an observation, but when I was reading Proverbs 16, it reminds me of those, it reminds me of those little books you can get and each page has a different saying. Words of wisdom. Yeah. I just pulled up one. And I, I'm a football fan. And yesterday... Uh, was Don't a, tell me this one on the Patriots. <laughs> no, no. It said iron sharpens iron. Yeah. yeah. And yesterday, uh, Jalen... Uh, yeah, used that. Iron sharp, and he's working with a younger quarterback at Oklahoma. He just transferred from Alabama. It's a big deal. But iron sharpens iron. We thought that came from, I didn't know that came from Proverbs. But yeah, oh, that's, uh, that's uh, yeah. if you read the whole thing, uh, there are a lot of our common... What we think is successful statements that you'll find in the book of Proverbs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Like um, the early bird gets the word. It's another yeah. one. Yeah. Five favorite is um, 31, though. That's what we were just saying. Where it talks about woman, godly woman. Yeah, a godly woman. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. Yes, yeah, so wait will. for that. Well, I just, God says it's true, it'll happen. <laughs> well, I don't know if the children ever. But. but I remember when I taught children in this church, and you were talking about beauty, we were talking about, like, you know, outer beauty, because that's what you think of, but inner beauty takes a little bit, too. And then as you get older, you're like, yes, everybody's beauty is fleeting, except for inner beauty. And that's, anyways, that's my favorite chapter in the Proverbs. I like that how to live a life following the will of God. And these are the little things that make living that life possible, more enjoyable. And these are the things, there's a lot of contradiction, you know, when it talks about um, the wise and the fool, the fool has a, a prominent place and um, Proverbs tells us what it means to be a fool and the, what happens when we are. I also think that Proverbs also gives us rights to, we will say the Old Testament isn't relevant. You know, like, I always tell people I'm a New Testament person because I love John 10, 10. But Proverbs you know, does make it relevant to today. All of those, like, little sayings and stuff. They're not sayings, but scriptures. Yeah. Well, no, no, sayings are good things. That's what they are. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome.